Today I want to begin um, or start this morning perhaps what we could call a mini-series. The blessed life went for the entire month of August and fell into the first week of September. But this series is probably going to be a two-week series. But it doesn't make it any less important than what we've already covered. And for the next couple of weeks I'm going to talk on the subject of evangelism. Evangelism. We're going to be talking about the fact that each one can reach one. That God has placed us strategically. Come on, listen to me. God has placed us strategically. We think we're in the most heathen environment. And God says, no, I've placed you strategically there so you can reach the people around you. Some of you say, oh, I wish my family was saved. God has saved you and strategically placed you in your family that you can bring about a change. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dealing with sharing the gospel the good news, the message of Jesus Christ with others around. God could have chosen any means possible to tell his story, but yet he chose you and I. He chose us to be the ones that would tell the story and invite others to the saving knowledge that we have experienced in our lives. He chose us. So the question is not who he chose, but the question really is the chosen ones. Are we doing it? Are we telling others about him? I believe there's no higher calling for us as children of God than to be a soul winner, to be winning people for Christ Jesus. Let me begin by reading you a story today, if I may. Years ago, I received a call from a church member explaining that her dad, Frank, was close to death. He occasionally attended our church with his daughter, but he did not believe in Christ and he was skeptical of all pastors. His concerned daughter asked if I would visit him in the hospital to explain the gospel so her dad would have a final chance to know Christ before he died. The pastor writes, hospital visits have always made me uncomfortable, but yet still I offered and willingly went. Walking down the long sterile hallway, I glanced into each room and I wondered about the patients. Some would never recover and go back to their lives, while others would recover and leave this building. When I reached Frank's room, I walked in nervously. His skin looked deadly or deathly yellow as he lay in his bed. Even if God performed a miracle, Frank, aged 82, did not have much years of life left. When he heard me enter the room, Frank stirred and seemed so glad for a visitor, even if the visitor was a pastor. 
not wanting to come across as the typical fire and brimstone preacher, I kept the conversation light. The whole time we talked, I looked for the opportune moment to shift the conversation towards spiritual issues. We talked about his favorite football team. Frank loved the Redskins and he hated the Cowboys ever since Tom Landry had left. Well, there was no apparent opportunity for a spiritual shift with that conversation. He told me about his grandson who was playing on the Varsity baseball team as a sophomore. No easy way to jump from baseball to Jesus. We chatted about the unseasonably hot weather and I considered mentioning to him that the heat of hell was probably hotter, but then I thought better of it. The perfect moment to transition the conversation to a spiritual issue never came. I decided not to force it. I told myself that I had developed a better relationship with him and I would return the next day to try and talk to him about Christ and his eternity. The following morning, as I walked back that same bleak hallway, I tried to keep my dress shoes from clicking against the floor. When I turned the corner to enter his room, I couldn't see Frank because the room was packed with people. Instantly, I realized what had just happened. Moments before I arrived, Frank had died. And all his family had gathered together to say goodbye. Standing outside of the room, I could barely breathe. Frank's body may still have been warm, but my heart felt suddenly cold with disappointment in myself. No one saw me, so I quickly turned around and walked back to my car, ashamed that I had missed the chance to impact Frank's eternity. I truly believe that Christ is the only door through which we can enter heaven. But I, I failed to share with Frank a man who was at death's door. The story that I just read may not be an exact story or an experience of your life. But I know today that this room is full of many similar stories to Frank's. Of each one of us having the opportunity, but yet failing to share the gospel with those around. Many of us undeniably know that the opportunity was right there. I mean, the situation presented itself absolutely perfectly. But yet in our minds, we always said, there'll be another chance. There'll be another opportunity. But we've got to consider what we're saying will be another chance of or another opportunity of. We are talking that people's lives are hanging in the balance. That someone's eternity is hanging in the balance. Yes, there may be other opportunities. Yes, there may be other times. But what if there isn't? What if no one else came by? What if God strategically placed you and I to be their only means of hope. When you look at the word evangelism, the word evangelism literally means to proclaim or to share the good news. 
And we know that the good news that we're talking about is the story of Christ. We know that. It's the gospel. The word gospel is a word that is taken from an old English word that was spelt literally God spell. G-O-D-S-P-E-L. God spell. In the Old English, that word literally meant this, or it was broken up like this. The first portion is God with a long O, which means good. The second portion is spell, S-P-E-L, which means word. So therefore, gospel, or the gospel, literally means sharing the good word or the good news of Jesus Christ. How many would agree today that the gospel is good news? How many would agree today that the gospel changed your life? How many would agree today that you would not be here if someone had not invited you, brought you, or told you about God? So we know, or we have a good news, and we have a good word to share. Why? Because every one of us today, God willing, are living proof that the gospel message works. So we have the good news. We have the gospel. We know it worked for our lives, but yet we don't share it with others around us. When is the last time that you really reached out to someone who was lost? I want you to think about that. When is the last time that you seized an opportunity to really tell someone about Christ. We may say, well, the opportunity didn't come. Can I talk about your surroundings every day? Every day we are surrounded with people, countless people who don't know Christ. You don't have to look very far because perhaps for some of you, they're in the next cubicle. Perhaps they may even share the same cubicle with you. They're the people who check out, check you out at the grocery store. They're the people who are stocking the shelves. They're the young men and women who walk the halls with you at school. Every day there are countless people that we come in contact with that are not Christians. We sit beside them. We talk to them. We call them our friends and they look at us as being their friends. But yet they don't know Jesus. And we know that. Come on. I said, we know that. Those that need Christ are around us every day and in some cases all day. Yet we're still so slow to share our faith. That which we all agreed in this place undeniably transformed our lives and gave us a new hope in Christ Jesus. Houston, we have a major problem. Come on, I said, Houston, we have a major problem here. So why don't we share the gospel with others? The list is pretty much endless of the reasons that we can give, but I wrote down a few reasons of perhaps the fact of why we don't share the gospel with people. There are many answers, but perhaps one would be, we don't want to be too pushy. We don't want to be disliked. We're popular at work. I mean, if I share the gospel, they may not like me. Notice how selfish that statement is. I said, notice how selfish that statement is when people's eternity could be laying in the balance and you're worried that people like you. No, I'm not saying just go out and make sure that everyone doesn't like you. I didn't say that. 
What about another reason? You don't want to be rejected. That, that, that can be a very real thing, that people don't like to be rejected. I've been rejected many times when it comes to telling the gospel that I need to remind myself this, they're not rejecting me, but they're rejecting the message that I'm bringing. That helps a lot to understand that and realize that. But you know one thing else that God has showed me is this. When they're rejecting something, they have to first know what they're rejecting, so at least it's going through. So we don't want to be rejected. We don't like to be, oh, we don't like to be embarrassed. How about that one? No one likes to be embarrassed. No one likes to be called out. No one likes to be laughed at. I've been laughed at many times. You know, I've had the privilege over the last couple of weeks to come in contact with a friend of mine. He was one of my best friends at high school. Ever since I've had a Facebook account, well, I don't really have it. I kind of share Kelly's and I kind of hacked into her account. And, um, but when I do go on Facebook, which is pretty rare, about the only time I ever go to Facebook or on Facebook is when I'm going somewhere and I'm stuck in an airport for a couple of hours or I'm, the, I'm, or I'm at the orthodontist waiting for Hannah to get her braces adjusted. That's about the only time I'll be on the Facebook. But I met this guy, James Matthews, and he actually requested me. I've been looking for him on Facebook, never could find him. I remember a conversation James and I had in a science room. On the back row, no, I sat on the front row, Maddie. Don't hear that, kids, where are you? But on the back row of the science lab, I was sitting there with James and the other boys. And the other boys and James were laughing at me for the fact I was a Christian because they had a party planned that weekend and they were all laughing about, here's Holy Phil, he won't come. And they were all talking about all the things and what they were going to do and how they were drunk they were going to get and what was going to be going on and everything like that. And they made fun of me and, and they laughed at me. And, and you know what? Those things hurt. You know, you feel rejected. You feel embarrassed almost. But you know what? There was something always inside of me that rose up and I knew what I had was a lot better than that. So as a group, they all laughed at me. But then there was a moment that James was on his own with me. When we were walking to the next class, he came to me. He saw that I was walking on my own. And he came and walked with me to the next class. And he said, you know what, Philip, I really respect you for what you believe. He didn't say that in front of the boys. He was one of the ones that was laughing and making fun of me. In fact, he was one of the main ones. He was the one that was hosting the party. But Philip, I really respect you and really honour what you are and the stand you've made. And he said, but I am only a young guy right now and I want to have fun in life. But when I get older, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Sitting in New Orleans Airport on my way to New York a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege to write him a very long letter reminding him of that day in the science class when they laughed at me and made fun of me. but reminded him of the fact that you said one day, that you would give your life to Christ. You know what he replied to me? He said, I remember that day. And he said, I will. And this may sound really strange, and don't take this wrong, but then he put a kiss at the end of the email. Why did he do that? It wasn't because he's kind of a little bit tutti-frutti or something like that. <laughs> the reason James did that was because he knew that I'd reached out to him and I'd remembered the fact. And I have prayed for him many days. And that was his way of showing, I believe, his appreciation to the fact that I was honest enough with him to challenge him again in his life. Now, he hasn't made that decision yet, but he's going to. But you see, here's the deal. We can get so embarrassed, we can, oh, I don't want to be disliked, that we can realize or we can fail to realize the fact that our lives can make such a difference that each one of us can reach one. Another reason that we have is, I don't know what to say. I don't know enough. You know, the saddest thing about that excuse is this. There are people who have been saved for 10 plus years and they are still using the excuse they don't know what to say. 
Man, I think that's really sad if you've been saved for 10 years and you can't be bothered to find out what God's Word has to say about salvation. Come on, let me say that one more time. That you can sit in church week after week after week after week, fill in your face, but yet you've never sat down to really discover how you can share that with other people. Come on, that's the only excuse we can use for so long. Ignorance is our fault. Come on, we can choose to be or we can choose not to be. So I think it's a good idea that you perhaps find what to say. But unfortunately, as I said, the list can continue and can go on. But I want to give you another answer this morning to why I believe many of us don't share the gospel with other people. And it's this. Because we don't really consider the absolute awfulness of what hell is really like. We have forgotten the image or the picture or the awfulness of what hell is really like. There are many, perhaps even today, in this place that don't really believe in hell. A poll was taken and researchers discovered that three out of four people, that's 75% of the people who were polled, said that they believed in a heaven. But in the same people that were polled, less than 50% or less than half of those people said that they felt that there was a hell. Many today have chosen not to believe in hell. They don't give much thought of it until they are confronted with the death of a loved one or a friend. You go to a funeral and on people's mind is they don't want that person to be in hell. They don't think much about it while they're living, but when they're faced or confronted with a death issue, no one wants to say, yes, my son's in hell. No one wants to believe that. They couldn't even consider that. And that's why we hear many statements. I've heard many statements as I preach funerals. And you know what? I cannot stand up and say that someone who has not given their life to Christ, I cannot stand up and say that they are in heaven. I've got to stand up and say God knows the heart of man. But you can't just stand up and make statements. These are statements, well, she didn't really like religion, but she was a good person. And she's had a good heart and she's in a better place now. I've heard other people say, well, I know he didn't go to church, but he was loved by so many and God knew his heart. You see, when it comes to eternity, human nature hopes for the best and avoids contemplating the worst. But the truth is this, John 14, verse 6, God says, I am the way. God says, I am the truth. God says, I am the life. And God says, no man comes to the Father except through me. What do we see in that passage of Scripture? We see an understanding that no amount of good works, no, popular, no amount of popular opinion, no amount of merits of this world, no achievements will ever get you into heaven. The only thing that will get you into heaven is going through Christ by the way of repentance and acceptance. Think about, if you would for a moment, the ramifications of the fact of if hell did not exist. If there wasn't a hell, then unbelievers would easily reject Christ with no fear of God. There would be no consequence to the sins and the choices and the decisions of their life. But then also, the believers, there would be no urgency, there would be no need for any of us to share our faith with other people because if there's only a heaven and there's a no hell, then everyone's going to make it. So what's the point of sharing the gospel? 
Can you see the web that Satan is beginning to spin? There are so many thoughts and so many different things that's out there now that is making people believe or not believe the fact that there is a hell. No hell or no consequence of hell literally means little to concern yourself about. There's no urgency, there's no importance, there's no consequence because there is no damnation for sin. But listen to me today. Whether you choose to believe or what I choose to believe really is second. Because here's the truth today. It doesn't matter what man thinks. It doesn't matter about our opinion because God's Word trumps man's opinion every time. What does that mean? God's Word is the truth. God's Word is the standard. And no matter what I believe and what I try to live by, the Bible says if I don't live by His Word, I'm going to be in trouble. The Bible clearly says that God created this universe with both a heaven and a hell. And that's why it's vitally important that we are doing everything within our power to steer people away from hell and make sure that they are with us in heaven. I know I asked this question earlier, but I want to ask you this question again. Who have you told about God lately? Who have you told about God lately? If I was to ask for a show of hands who had told someone about God this week, I think we would be, no, I don't think we would be surprised. But we should be. And we should be ashamed. When is the last time that you prayed for someone to be saved? And I don't just mean, well, God, just just bless them, God. Touch them, Lord. That's a great prayer to pray, and we should pray that. God, touch them and bless them. But I mean, when is the last time that literally, perhaps for hours, that you got on your face before God, weeping and crying with your heart so burdened and your heart so broken for that person, that you wept and cried and you pled with God to save their soul? Literally so burdened. But what do we do? Oh, God touching them. What do we do? Just go on with our everyday life. Don't inconvenience the fact I'm going to the movies. Don't inconvenience the fact that I'm watching LSU. Don't inconvenience. Man, that's one thing you could be inconvenienced over. Don't inconvenience the fact of my life. Youngie Cho, who is a pastor of one of the biggest, or is the biggest church in the world from Seoul, Seoul, Korea, I believe it is, is where his church is. They have over one million members. That was a number of years ago. They have over a million members, so it's just slightly bigger than our church. And um, they have over a million members in their church. The first time that he had the privilege of coming to America, some people thought it would be a great experience for him to take him to Disney World. They took this pastor to Disney World. He had never seen anything quite like this before. But they... They were amazed at his response as he stood in the middle of Disney World. He stood there crying, literally sobbing and weeping in the midst of all the fun and the games around. The people who took him went up to him and said, What's wrong? You're not feeling well? Has someone done something? I mean, did someone run over your toes? Did someone bump into you? I mean, you're not feeling... I mean, what's the problem? You know what was wrong? He was weeping over souls. He was weeping over souls. His reply was, 
as he looked at the thousands of people all around him, he said these words, I wonder how many of these people know Jesus. A burden, a passion, a longing, a yearning inside of him to see people who are saved that may not impact you and affect you, but I'm telling you, it's had a great effect on me because I know a number of weeks ago that we went to the mall after church on a Sunday morning to eat in the food court because there were so many options. Sometimes when you've got five kids, come on, it's a struggle to decide where you're going to eat. So take them to the mall and give them some money and let them go wherever they want. But as we were coming up the escalator, that food court was packed with people and I turned to Kelly and I said, I wonder how many of these parents took their children to church this morning. That bothers me when I'm around that, when I see people, because my heart and my passion is, God, I want to make a difference. I want to tell these people. Is there someone in your family that doesn't know Christ? Perhaps it's an old friend. Perhaps it's a neighbor. Perhaps it's someone at work. If we really believe that there is a heaven and a hell and we sincerely cared, wouldn't our actions be transformed? In other words, how can we or how could we just go through life without taking time to warn those around us? I want to talk for a few moments this morning on what hell is like. I want to talk about hell this morning. There are a number of people who have books out there that have written accounts of the fact that they have physically themselves been literally taken to hell, that they had experiences of hell. I've read a couple of those books and and some of the things that they have said. Now, I don't know if everything that they have said is true, but let me tell you something. The things they've said are not nice and they're definitely things that I don't want to even flirt with. But you see, when I talk about hell, I'm not trying to scare you today and I'm not trying to scare you even into telling the gospel with other people. But what I want you to do is truly understand the awfulness of really what it is. And in understanding how horrific and bad it is, hopefully it will motivate every one of us to help as many people avoid going there as humanly possible. That all of a sudden, we don't want to feel disliked. We don't want to feel awkward. It's second because, hold on a second, I don't want to see them go to that place. Hell is no picnic. It's not even close. It's not a joke. You've heard it probably from people. Oh, hell is just going to be a big party. We're just going to hang out and we're going to have a good time. Yeah, it's going to be great because there's just going to be a whole bunch of sinners just like me. At least I won't be alone. It's what they say. Hell is eternal separation and damnation. Hell is not going to be a 24-7 tailgate party. Let's look at what God's Word says about hell. In the Bible, the Word of God gives us two descriptions of hell. The first is a burning fire. A burning fire. Jesus, when he spoke about hell, often used the word Gehenna. Gehenna was the refuge dump outside of Jerusalem where they would throw all their trash and this was a place that was constantly on fire. 
There was a fire that was always burning as they would throw everything onto that refuge dump called Kehenna. If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 43 through verse 48 today. And this is Jesus' warning of offences, but yet again speaking of hell itself. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands go to hell in a fire that shall never be quenched. Verse 44, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out. Can you see the image here? I mean, this is horrific. If your eyes cause you to sin, Jesus is saying, literally take a a stick or something and gouge your eye out. Could you imagine the pain and the agony in doing something like that? But what he's trying to show them is the difference is unbelievable. Why? Because he says, gouge it out because it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die. And the fire is never quenched. In this description we see Jesus saying that hell was a place of worms, maggots, fire. It's a place of trouble. So from this first description we get the image of a lake of fire. The concept of perpetual burning. Some people have turned around and said there are not literal flames in hell. I believe there are. I believe because of what we just read tells us so. Some people think that's just figuratively speaking, that he was just trying to show an image of. No, I believe it's literally speaking. Why? Because he said it's going to be an unquenchable fire. He says it's where the fire is never going to go out. So literally, here's the thought. The bodies of those who have rejected Christ, maybe your family members and your friends that you work with every day, they are going to be constantly on fire. But yet they're going to be constantly on fire, but never being burned up. You can throw something in a fire and it will burn, but then it will turn into ash. That's not going to happen. Literally, you are going to be tormented, or they are going to be tormented. That's the image that we get from this, the image of torment of pain. In our human bodies right now, if we were to be burned or we were to be hurt in a great way, you know what happens to our bodies? We just black out. That's our defense. That's our body's defense mechanism to avoid the pain or the awfulness of the moment. It's not going to happen in hell. It's not like you're going to just pass out because of the pain. Pain is your life burning on a continual way, but yet never burning up, but yet feeling the agony and the pain. Have you ever burnt yourself? I mean, I just burnt myself the other day trying to, trying to cut a pizza for kids. It was in the oven. Stupid me, put my hands on the tray to roll that thing. And oh, the end of my two fingers, I think I cried like a baby. But you know there's something about burning and that is this. The initial burn is bad enough but it gets worse. You go, ow, but then you go, ow, really? Because it gets worse. It's like the intensity intensifies. Will you imagine what it would be like? Not just your couple of fingers. 
Imagine what it would be to feel that pain and the agony and the torment of that going on all around you. Remember I told you about certain individuals that wrote accounts of being taken to hell? One such individual talked about that he saw the fire that literally was throwing people up in the air and tormenting them as they would fall back to the ground burning and it would throw them up into the air, never giving them any peace. They would cry out, stop. But 24 hours a day, just the torment of the fire with no relief and no rest. Because of the utter pain and the suffering, the people there are going to be full of remorse. Can you hear the people? Oh, I'm sorry! Remember what it was like when your dad was coming home and you knew you were in trouble? The remorse that you suddenly discovered for those good things that you were doing earlier. It was fun throwing rocks through windows. You had no remorse at all till you got caught. Come on, you holy people. But then the remorse that you see dad coming in and before he even gets close to you, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. That cry of forgiveness with the hope of grace. Let me tell you something, there is no hope of grace in hell. There's going to be a cry of remorse, but it's going to be a cry that is never heard. A cry that is never heard. That's not bad enough. The second description that we see from God's Word that Jesus gives us of hell is outer darkness. Now some people may say, well that's crazy. How can there be darkness but yet there be fire? I don't know, but God says it's going to be that way. But he speaks about utter darkness. In Matthew 8 verse 12, yeah, the words say this, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what the outer darkness part speaks about? The terrible loneliness and the separation not only from God but also from people around. Those who are sent or those who have been consigned to hell will be put into the inky blackness of eternity with nobody to turn to or to talk to. But they'll be constantly Hello. Can you do something for me? Can you turn all the lights off in here quickly for me? Can you do that for me? It's not going to be completely dark and you can turn the spots off because of things. But even right now, in the darkness that we perhaps have, it's not the greatest, but even right now, if we were to close our eyes, let's just close our eyes where we're at right now. Even though we can close our eyes, you know what there is? There's still a knowing that sitting beside us, that in front of us, that around us there's someone that if there was a need that we could reach out to. In hell, there's not going to be that because there's not going to be that person in front of you. There's not going to be that person beside you. There's not going to be that person around you. Thank you, Tammy. It's just going to be completely separation and loneliness. They will suffer the remorse of knowing what they had the opportunity to, that they had the opportunity to come into heaven with God, but they turned it down. What an incredible thing. In the midst of your loneliness, they're going to have the fact, they're going to remember the moments that they could have and should have. Maybe they're going to even remember you, that holy Joe that sat beside them, but then you never told them about Christ. 
There's a whole other list of things that we see through God's Word that will be in hell, that hell will be an everlasting place of fire. We've talked about that, Matthew 5.22 and Mark 9.43, that it will be an everlasting place of thirst. Have you ever been really thirsty and you crave for something and the relief that you feel, imagine living with absolute thirst and never being satisfied. It's going to be a place of consciousness. What does that mean? As I said, we're not going to black out. We're going to be fully aware of what's going on or what's not going on around us as we are tormented and completely alone. The Bible says it's going to be a place of pain, pain beyond imagined. Pain beyond what our minds can even comprehend. It's going to be a place of darkness. It's going to be a place of sorrow and weeping. Man, if we could only hear the cries that would be coming from hell right now, our lives would be completely changed. The cry. The cry. The cry. The Bible also says that there will be memory. I think this is one of the worst torments that there will be in hell. Why? Because we'll have our memory. What does that mean? That we'll remember on September 12, 2010, that we sat in a church and we were introduced to Christ Jesus, but yet we never accepted Christ. Or we'll remember the fact that our mum looked at us and said, Son, I'm praying for you. Daughter, I'm praying for you. You need to make it right. Or when we cursed out that guy who was telling us at work, or we walked past that preacher on the street and we spat at them and said that's absolute foolishness we will remember we will remember every opportunity everything that was presented to our lives such a hopelessness absolute hopelessness did you know that the Bible speaks of hell has been a lake of fire that was just reserved for the devil and his angels. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Hell was never a place that God intended for man to go to. When he created her hell, he didn't create it with the thought that man is going to come here. He created heaven with that thought, but not hell. But those that choose or those who have chosen to reject God will one day follow Satan right into eternal judgment. I've heard people say this all the time. How could a loving God condemn someone to hell? A loving God has never condemned one person to hell. It's the choice. It's the decision. It's man's choice that has determined the outcome of his or hers eternity. There's no exit from hell. There's no way out. There's no second chance. It's hard even to begin to imagine the physical pain of endless suffering. The emotional void of hurting without anyone to comfort you and the knowledge that you're going to have to suffer alone with no relief coming ever. That's almost impossible for us to imagine. But again, please hear me. I'm not saying all this to scare you into sharing the gospel. I say this because this is the truth of rejecting the gospel. This is what awaits those who the Bible says reject God. It's a place so horrific. It's a place beyond description. A place that you wouldn't want if you did have a worst enemy to ever even go to. But today I also want to talk about heaven quickly. 
Because I believe that there are many misconceptions and many misunderstandings when it comes to heaven, especially when you hear someone say, I don't want to go there. Yes, there will be worship. Yes, there will be praise in heaven. But listen to me, heaven is not an endless church service. We're not going to be floating around on harps, half na- or on clouds, half naked, strumming harps. Listen to what the psalmist describes, and I think this is such an incredible description, and we could go on for weeks talking about the greatness of heaven. But listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 84, verse 10. He says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand somewhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper, just make it in to the house of God than to dwell amongst the tents of the wicked, those who are prospering, those that have the wealth, those that have... I would rather just be the most menial task or just just make it in than to be a part of one of those. What the psalmist is saying to every one of us is better is one day. Better is one day. I want you for a few moments to think of the greatest memory that you could ever recall of your life. Come on, the greatest memory that you have ever had in your life. Perhaps it was marrying your wife. Perhaps it was the first child. Perhaps it was graduated. Maybe it was when you were told your body is cancer-free. Whatever that is, come on, begin to think about that memory. Would you hold on to that memory for a second? Think about the greatest vacation spot in the world that you could ever go to. Maybe that dream vacation, that place that you want to go to. Maybe it's Hawaii and you want to run through those white shores or whatever it may be. Come on, picture that most, the most incredible vacation spot in the world. Would you hold that thought? Now I want you to picture yourself, how your life could be absolutely complete. What do you want to see happen in your life? What is the greatest thing that you could perhaps experience in your life? Maybe it's that dream job. Maybe it's marrying this person or that person or, or, or all these things. Come on, picture what your life, the greatest part of your life could be. Now what I want you to do is this. I want you to take that greatest memory. I want you to take that greatest thought. And I want you to take that greatest picture. Have you got them? Come on, have you got them? How many are still working on them? How many, it brings a smile to your face when you start thinking about those memories and picturing and those thoughts. You know what I want you to do? I want you to take that memory, that thought and that picture. And I want you to combine them all together. And I want you to realize that one day with God is greater than a lifetime of that. That's how incredible heaven is going to be. The greatest memory, the greatest thought, the greatest picture, that we can put all those together. But one day in heaven is going to be greater than a lifetime of those things that we can even begin to imagine. Come on, heaven is more than just streets of gold and vast mansions. The Bible says there will be no sin. There will be no suffering. There will be no crying. Listen to Revelations 21 verse 4 and 5. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words that are true and faithful. These are the things that God has given to John in a vision. 
He's writing of a new heaven and he's writing of a new earth and he's instructed by God to write them down as truth. Why? Because of the faithfulness of God. Meaning what? Write them down because these things are going to come to pass. You see, in heaven we're going to dwell with God, our Saviour, forever and ever and ever. Heaven's going to be such an incredible place. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more disappointments, no more anguish, no more pain. And one day with God is going to be greater than a thousand days of everything. What a place. What a place. What a place. So today, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. But here's the question I want to present to you again this morning. By the way I live or by the way you live daily, is that reflecting the urgency of your claimed beliefs? Think about that. Is the way that I'm living every day does it really reflect what I say or claim to be? I don't think we often come even close to that. And here's why. Because I believe if we truly considered and we truly understood and thought about the awfulness of hell and the greatness of heaven, we would do everything within our power not caring about being disliked, not caring about being embarrassed, not caring about maybe not even knowing what to say. We would stumble any way possibly we could. Why? Because we want to make sure that those that God has entrusted into our care and keeping all around us never find a place called hell. Matthew 7, as I close, says these words. 7 verse 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult or straight is the way which leads to life and there are few that find it. In other words, the pathway that leads to hell is the most trampled route. That's what God says. There's more on the pathway to hell than on the pathway to heaven. But here's the question I want to ask you again today. Is this: What conclusion do you draw from this? Do you turn around and say, well, I guess God's word says there's going to be more that are going to hell. So there's nothing I can do about it because God says that. Yes, God's Word does say that. But I believe it says that for this reason. I believe it shows us the urgency of the matter at hand. What does that mean? That people by their droves, people by their thousands are going to hell. And there's an urgency right now in the spirit realm for us to rise up and begin to tell people and plead with people around us that each one of us can reach one, that we can change their destiny, that we can give them a hope of a glorious future in Christ Jesus. Benny Hinn says in a dream he was taken to the edge of hell and saw a pit that as far as the eye could see he saw thousands of people marching and falling off one after the other and he cried out to the angel who took him there and said, why don't you stop them? Why don't you warn them? And the angel looked back and said, that's your purpose. That's your mission. That's what God has called you to do. We all want to know our specific purpose. We all want to know what God's will is for our lives. Well, perhaps this is a good place to start, sharing the gospel, the good word, the good news with those around us. It's time to always be ready to share our faith with others. And it's not as hard as we think, but it's more important than you and I could ever imagine. As you share, I know you'll be amazed at how many people are generally hungry to hear the truth 
from an honest and caring heart. We think people don't want to hear. I was just talking to Bishop this week and he was telling me about someone who was talking about church and he said, Pastor, it's amazing. They want to hear about it. We think they don't. But when they see it coming from a caring, loving, considerate heart and you see them open up and begin to share, you will be amazed at how hungry people are to hear the Word of God. Perhaps on Monday morning when you show up at work, Perhaps football should be the second thing on your list that you talk to people about. Look at this statistic as I close. 73% of people who don't attend church say they were never invited. 73% of people who don't attend church said they were never or have never been invited. We could at least start there, huh? Inviting them to church. Next week, we're going to look at a few ways that we can share the gospel with people. And one thing we're going to discover is it's often the tiniest things that make the biggest difference. We're going to seize the moments. We're going to learn to seize the moments. We're going to learn to look for opportunities. And when opportunities don't come, we're going to create opportunities. Did you catch that? We're going to seize the moments. How many right now have family members that are not saved? You want them to go to hell? What are we doing? How many of you have best friends that are not saved? You want them to go to hell? But yet we're embarrassed to tell them? Think about that. God spoke to me one day to go and talk to a friend of mine about something very important. And here was my thinking, well, I love them enough. I, I don't want to embarrass them. Then God said to me, no, if you really love them, you'll tell them the truth. We've got to seize the moment. There's a heaven... And there's a hell. And everyone is going to go to one or the other. It's time for each one to reach one. Think about this. Life is for a while, but eternity is forever. Life is for but a moment, but eternity is forever. Each one reach one. Eternity is at stake. When you go out of those doors, every time you leave the church, it says, now it's my time. What does it mean, now it's my time? Why did I put those words over the doors as you leave the church? Why? Because it's your time now to go out into the greatest mission field of this world and it's your world. And it's your time to take the gospel to those around. Come on, it's time for each one to reach one. It's time for us to realize the fact that hell is not a place that no one would ever and could ever desire to be. Even our worst enemy, we shouldn't want to go to a place like that. But yet heaven is so grand and so beautiful and so magnificent. A place that God created with every one of us, His children, in mind. Come on, we've got to start sharing the gospel. We've got to start sharing the gospel. We are one soul away from doubling the size of this church. What does that mean? If every one of us touched one person, there wouldn't be room enough in this church for all the people. Each one, reach one. Come on, when's the last time? When's the last time? Seize the moment. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartseeds Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1111.
1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.